Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Tin. Uh, I'm doing the second Bible reading this morning, taken out from the epistle to the Hebrew, chapter 10, verse 1 to 18. And you can find this in your Pure Bible, 12, page 1261. So it's Hebrew, chapter 10, verse 1 to 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of this reality. It can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshiper, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sin, but in this sacrifice, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of the bulls and the goat and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came to the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offering and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to, your, to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither designed nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offering, and burnt offering and sin offering. They are all offered according to the law. Then he, he added, Behold, I have come to do your will, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bear witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declare the Lord, I will put my laws in on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their knowledge did no more. When there is forgiveness of this, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Tian. Uh, my name's Ali. I'm, I'm one of the ministers of our church. I'll be uh, bringing our message today. It'll be great. We'll be working through Hebrews, so it'll be great if you could keep your Bible open. If you're a note taker, there's an outline you might like to use to, to take notes or to follow along with what we're doing. But as we begin, I'm going to pray. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from your mouth. So would you feed and nourish us now as we come before your word? Please encourage, convict, exhort, or challenge us as we need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some tasks in life 
are never finished. No matter how many times you do them, they still need to be done over and over and over and again. While I was studying at Bible College, I I lived in Geelong for a couple of years and this is the house that Cassie and I lived in while we were down in Geelong. Oh, there we go. That's the house we lived in down in Geelong. It's a nice house, quite a compact house, which worked well. It was just Cassie and me at the time. Oh, it was particularly nice about it. It even had a nice little garden there. You can see the garden. But what I loved about the garden, you can't really tell from the photo, but it had fake grass, which meant no mowing, no weeding. Perfect for a brown thumb like me. So it was great to live in. But while there was no uh, space for mowing or weeding there, actually what you can kind of see just around the side, there actually was a space down the side where weeds could grow. Me um, hating gardening how I did, or how I do. I think I weeded once when we moved in, and then I didn't weed again for another year and a half. And um, by that stage, do you know what it looked like? Uh, This is what it looked like down the side of the house. It's like something out of the Amazon rainforest. I think we even had a family of orangutans living in there. But one Saturday, I said, enough's enough. So Cass and I, we rolled up our sleeves and we got to work. And it took about four hours or so to remove all of those weeds. And by the end, our backs ached, our hands were blistered. Our heads were sunburned, but the weeds were all gone. I wish I'd taken a photo of it. I didn't, but you have to take my word. The weeds were all gone. So we went inside, and we relaxed, and we were like, oh, I'm so glad it's done. But you know what I noticed? Within about a week, (laughs) little buds started poking up above the soil. The weeds were coming back. Some tasks in life, no matter how well we do them, are never done. I'm sure you can think of things like that. What about brushing your teeth? How often are you meant to brush your teeth? Well, every morning and every night, or at least we're meant to. See, it doesn't matter how well you clean them, you still need to do them again the next day. Or what about flossing? We're meant to floss every day. I've got a friend, a friend's wife was talking to a dentist one time, and my friend's wife asked the dentist, do you need to floss every tooth? The dentist replied, only the ones you want to keep. And so... (laughs) And so that's what we've got to do every day. We've got to floss. Or what about house chores? Have to do house chores every day, vacuuming the carpet, cleaning the dishes, washing the clothes, making the bed. No matter how well you do it, the task is never done. Some tasks in life are never finished. So let me ask you this then. How do you know that Jesus' task is finished? How do you know that Jesus' task is not a never-ending task? So far in Hebrews, we've seen just how great Jesus is, how he's far better than anything and anyone else, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than Joshua. And particularly over the last few weeks, we've seen what a particularly good job he did. We've seen how he's the perfect priest who offers us access into the perfect covenant because he's gone into the perfect heavenly sanctuary. In other words, we've seen just what a great job Jesus did. But how do we know that even though he did such a great job, he won't need to do that great job again tomorrow, and then the next day, and then the next day, and the next day? How do we know that Jesus' task is finished? Well, in a sense, that's the question the passage today answers, and at its heart, it's actually a really simple answer. In a minute, I'm going to show you an image, and that image is of something 
that proves to us that the job is done. It's a simple thing, but it's something that was never in the temple, was never in the tabernacle. The priests never used it, but it shows us that the task is done. Do you know what it is? It's that. It's a chair. We know that the task is finished because Jesus sat down on a chair. And so that's what today's passage shows us. And so we'll continue to expand on that. But as we do, as we work through, we'll see the old way. We'll see the way that could never save us. The way that was a never-ending task. Then we'll see the new way, the way that can save us because the task is finished. And because of that, we'll then see the impact that has on our day-to-day. And we'll see what's on offer, the joy today. And so let's get into it. It starts with the old way, the law. Now, the issue with the law is that the law could never save us. In a sense, it's a never-ending task. It's like brushing our teeth or flossing. It's like vacuuming or washing the dishes. And that's because it's only a shadow of what was to come. Do you see that in verse 1? Have a look with me. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. Now, we know that's how shadows work They look like the real thing, but they're not actually it. If you see a shadow of a book, it might look like it can teach and inform you, but you can't actually pick it up and read it. If you see the shadow of a glass of water, it might look like it can quench your thirst, but you can't actually pick up the shadow and drink it. That's because the shadows look like the real thing, but they're not the reality themselves. And in the same way, the law is just a shadow of what was to come. It hints at it, it looks like it, but it is not the reality itself. And so what does that mean? And we continue in verse 1. Have a look. For this reason, the law can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Because it's just a shadow, the law could never save us. And in fact, did you see what the law actually was, or what the sacrifices of the law were. They were a never-ending task. Just like weeding, they had to be done over and over and over again. And that itself is proof that they didn't work. Otherwise, they wouldn't have needed to be repeated. Have a look at verse 2. They can't save. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all. and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. See, if the sacrifices had done what they were meant to do, washed us clean of our sin, then they wouldn't have needed to be repeated. They wouldn't have needed to be done over and over again. When you pass your driver's license, you do not need to sit that test again five years later. It has done what it is meant to do. You can drive. Or when you have an operation to have your tonsils taken out, you do not need to have them taken out again a week later. Because the operation has done what it's meant to do. The tonsils are gone. But if, in fact, you failed your driver's license test or the operation failed to remove the tonsils, then you might need to sit the test again or have the operation again. See, if a task does what it's meant to do, you don't need to repeat it. And that's the same for the sacrifices. They needed to be repeated over and over and over again because they couldn't actually deal with sin. 
They were just a shadow, never able to save us. Now that then might lead us to wonder, well, what was the point? Why bother with all of that blood and guts if they couldn't actually deal with sin? Were the sacrifices useless? Were they just a waste of time? Well, of course not. The point in doing them was a reminder. Have a look at verses 3 and 4. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, the sacrifices couldn't actually deal with sin because the blood of an animal, the blood of a goat, is not equal to the blood of a human. There's a difference in quality. It couldn't save us, but what it could do was remind, of the, remind us of the gravity of sin, that sin requires blood. Because when you looked up there and you saw poor little Fluffy lying on the sacrifice table, lifeless eyes staring up, blood running down, you couldn't help but be reminded that sin is a big deal. Sin has caused that death. And that is what the sacrifices were. They were a reminder of the gravity of sin, that sin is a big deal and that sin requires blood. I mean, it's almost impossible to look at that slaughtered animal and not be struck by that. And that's what the sacrifices did. They were annual reminders of the gravity of sin. And so then that is the old way, the way of the law, the way that could never save us, the way that was a never-ending task, something that needed to be done over and over and over again. And that is why then there was no chair in the temple, because the priest could not sit, because the task was not done. And that's actually the reality of anything we think can get us right with God. It never can. And so the task will never be done. Good work, church attendance, giving money to charity, all good things. But if we're relying on those to get us right with God, the task will never be done. We'll be stuck trying day after day after day, always working, but never finished. But of course, while we can't finish the task, Jesus can, and Jesus did. And that's the new way. While the old way, the way of the law could never save us, the new way, Jesus, he can save us. And he does it by his life. As our passage continues, it quotes Psalm 40. Have a look at it with me, verses 5 to 7. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, my God. Now, sometimes in the Bible, in the New Testament, when it has an Old Testament quote, it can be hard work to try and figure out what's, what's being referred to, what's it talking about. Here, we don't need to figure it out. The author has told us why he's using that quote. He continues in verses 8 and 9 to explain it. So have a look at verses 8 and 9 with me. First, Jesus said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. Now the point is that Jesus came to set aside the sacrificial system because that is not and never was primarily what God wanted, what God desired. Because all along what God was primarily interested in was not sacrifices, but obedience. He wants us to love him, 
and to obey Him. Yet the problem is we don't do that and that's why there were sacrifices. And that's what the Bible describes as sin. Now recently as the staff team we've been reading a book together, it's been a really good book to, um, to read, this is what we've been reading, Biblical Critical Theory. That's a book that thinks about all the theology of the Bible and then thinks about the concrete, practical, real-world uh, repercussions of that. It's been a really worthwhile book to read, do, do check it out, it's worth considering. But recently in one of the chapters we had to look at, he had a definition or an explanation for sin that I found really insightful and helpful he said that sin is autonomy. Now, if you don't know what autonomy is, it comes from two Greek words. It comes from autos, which is self, and nomos, which is law. So sin is self-law, self-law. It is deciding for myself what is good and what is bad. It is deciding for myself what I would do, what is right and wrong. And that's the problem of Genesis 3, isn't it? Adam and Eve lived by self-law. They decided for themselves what they'd do. But the issue with that is that we do not belong to ourselves. God is the one who made us, and so God is the one who gets to decide. We shouldn't live by self-law, we should live by God-law. But we don't. And that is what the Bible describes as sin. And it's because of that self-law that sacrifices were required as an attempt to fix what we had broken. Yet when Jesus came, did you see what he did? In verses 9 to 10, he perfectly obeyed God's will. He didn't live by self-law, but lived by God-law. And he's the only person who has ever done that. When faced with adversity or temptation or self-interest, he never caved into self-law. He always did God's will. 100% of the time, not 90% of the time, not 99% of the time, 100% of the time, he lived by God's will. What was the result? Verse 10, have a look. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, part of God's will was that Jesus, the perfectly obedient one, might sacrifice himself to take the punishment that we deserve, to fix the problem that we have created. Now, we might try all sorts of ways to fix it, religious duties like going to church or praying, good deeds like giving to charity or being a nice person. We might try all sorts of things, but the only actual way to deal with it is the sacrifice of Jesus. And by that sacrifice... Jesus took our sins once for all. The task is now completely finished. How can we be so certain? Well, that's where our image comes in. It's because of the chair. That's why we can be so certain. While the priests never sat, Jesus did. Have a look at verse 12. But when this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for one time for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. See, how do you know that Jesus' task is done? Because he sat down. He's seated right now. At this very moment, as we are in church today, Jesus is sitting down in heaven next to God. And he could only do that if the task was finished once 
for all. That is what Jesus did. And we see that again in verse 14. Have a look. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, because of this one sacrifice, we've been made perfect. We, whose sin is such a big deal that those animals had to be brutally slaughtered. We, who are always living by self-law, not God-law. We are made perfect by Christ's sacrifice. Not made okay, not made good, not made extremely good, but made perfect. And that task is done. Jesus is now seated. This is the new way. While the old way, the law could never save us, this new way, Jesus can save us. Because his sacrifice is a once for all. What's the result of this perfectly finished task? I think we see it primarily in verse 17. But before we get to it, in verses 15 to 16, the author quotes Jeremiah 31 again. We heard about this a few weeks ago with ads. And the point is that because of this sacrifice, God will so draw us into this covenant with him that the law will be written on our hearts It's a beautiful picture of acceptance into God's family. But what I want us to focus on is verse 17. Did you see what it says? It's actually quite a a shocking and a surprising verse. Have a look at it with me, verse 17. Then God adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sins is no longer necessary. Do you see what it's saying? God remembers our sin no more. In a sense, God forgets. Now, we're used to the idea of us forgetting. Maybe you forget someone's name, that's a bit embarrassing. Maybe you forget an anniversary, that's a bit more dangerous. Or maybe we forget to do something we promised we'd do. We're used to the idea that we forget things. And that's because we're humans. And of course we forget things. But here we see that the all-knowing one, the one with the perfect mind, who, knew, who knows the beginning from the end, he determines to forget. He remembers our sins no more. Now, of course, it's not that God literally forgets. It's not that God has Alzheimer's or that God has amnesia here. But rather, it is as if God has forgotten it. That's how completely and utterly gone our sins are. But imagine if that wasn't how God treated us. Imagine if instead he treated us how we often treat other people. Imagine if he kept a list of all our sins and he pulled it out every time we asked for forgiveness. Imagine we come to God to confess our sin and he says, again, Ollie, that's the fifth time this week. Just yesterday, you asked forgiveness for the same thing. What's wrong with you? Get it together. Imagine if that's what God was like. Imagine how crushing that would be. beautiful message here is that in Christ our sins are completely gone washed away once for all so much so that it is as if God has forgotten our sins they will never be remembered again and that means that God won't drag them up again every day to throw it in our face it means he loves us without being bitter or resentful or hurt by us It means he forgives us completely and utterly. That is how far gone our sins are. 
I wonder, do you struggle to feel that sometimes? Do you sometimes feel the weight and the shame of your own sin sitting heavily on your shoulders? Do you carry the memory of your sins around with you like an unwanted companion? Do you lie awake sometimes when no one else sees, just replaying those sins over and over again in your head? Do you struggle to forgive yourself because you're so consciously aware of your guilt and your shame? I suspect that at times we all do. Well, when you're feeling like that, when you're feeling weighed down by sin, when you're struggling to forgive yourself, when the devil whispers in your ear what a sinner you are and how God could never forgive you, what should you do? Well, when that's how you're feeling, then remember the chair. I think that's what we can remember, that the task is done, the sins are washed away, and Jesus is now seated. Jesus is now sitting, and our sins are gone. The work is done. And that's why in verse 18 it says, there's no longer any need for ongoing sacrifices, because the work is complete. Christ has done it. And if we properly understand this day-to-day reality, then it gives us such a great joy today. The joy of rest. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I mean, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want the inward and the outward peace of rest? And that is what we can have, because the job is done. Because we know when the task is not done, we can never truly rest. That, that, that story I told you at the start where we did the weeding, we went inside and we rested, but at the back of our mind, we knew the task is not fully done. We knew that one day we would have to weed again. It's the same with house chores. You might be able to rest a bit afterwards, but you can never truly rest because the vacuuming will need to be done again, the dishes will need to be washed again, the clothes will need to be put in the washing machine again. We know when there is work still to be done, then we cannot truly and ultimately rest. But because this task is finished, once for all, then we can have that rest that we yearn for. No more work to do, no more hard work to do to please God. He's pleased already because of Christ, and our sins are washed away because of that. And so because of our perfect Savior's perfect work, we can have rest. I want to share with you a a song I've been loving recently. I love music. I can't sing. When I sing, it sounds like a strangled cat. But I do love music. And so whenever I'm sitting at my desk working, there'll, there'll barely ever be a time where I'm not listening to music. And this is one song I've been particularly loving recently. It's called Come Weary Souls. And what I love about it is that it captures the idea of this passage so well. It captures the the freedom found in the sacrifice of Christ, freedom from guilt and shame. Uh, Let me share just a little bit of it. It's not the, the whole song, but this is what it says. Come weary souls with sin distressed, come and accept the promised rest. The Savior's gracious call obey, cast your anxious fears away. Burdened by guilt, weighed down with shame, come to the cross where Christ was slain. Divine compassion, mighty love, all your heavy load remove. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. Come like a child. Believe and abide. Find rest in the Savior's name. Find rest 
in the Saviour's name. I love that song. I've been listening to it a lot recently. It's a really good one, isn't it? There's no more guilt. There is no more shame. Come like a child. Simply believe and abide. And we can find rest in the Saviour's name. Is your soul feeling weary, feeling weary today? Distressed by your sin? Burdened by your guilt? Weighed down by shame? That heavy burden can be removed. Come like a child. Believe and abide. And find rest in the Saviour's name. And how do we know? How is that guaranteed that that job is finished? That's because of the chair. Remember the chair. Jesus is sitting in heaven right now. The work is finished. The sin is dealt with. I'm going to pray and thank God for that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is seated right now. We thank you the task is done. He doesn't need to repeat it again. It is done. And our sin is washed away. We thank you for that. Thank you that all of our guilt and shame is gone. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the comfort that finds. Would you give us rest in this? We do confess. Sometimes we find it hard to let go of our sin. We just keep bringing it up over and over again in our minds. Weighed down by it. Would you comfort us when we feel like that? Would you remind us of the chair? Would you remind us that Christ is seated and our sin is dealt with? We pray this in his name. Amen.